the Friday before last, um, I, Amy and I were at home, as we are quite a bit these days, quite honestly. But anyhow, <laughs> we were watching the live stream of uh, the Huntington High School graduation. I don't know if you got to see that, but um, I thought it was such a, uh, a neat uh, way to honor our graduates in less than ideal circumstances. Uh, but I'm sitting there watching the live stream of our graduates from Huntington, and a thought hits me. I'm going, wait a second, this is 2020. I graduated in 1980. It's been, oh, sorry. It's been 40 years. Thinking, is that even possible? I graduated from high school 40 years ago, you know, this week. And it, it kind of started my mind going down memory lane. Amy's smiling over there because all of a sudden at some point in the evening I thought, where is my high school annual, my yearbook? And I know my wife's over there on the couch rolling her eyes going, seriously, dude. But <laughs> I just, I start, I, pull, I pulled out my, my yearbook annual, whatever we call it, um, out of the closet and began to flip through those pages and just uh, thinking about, you know, seeing people. I'm thinking, I hadn't thought about this person in 40 years. I graduated from Wichita Falls High School. There were 300 plus of us. I don't know, a lot of people. Most of them I didn't know. Uh, but, you know, I, I started down that evening just going down memory lane and there were, there were some kind of, there were good memories, you know, there were some good things I thought about and funny things I thought about and then I just kept going down that road and kind of a different feeling began to sink in and I'm just being honest with you today. There was a certain sense uh, of regret as I thought about those days, I'm just being honest with you. And, and a lot of it just related to my faith. And, it's, and, I, and I, I project about my image in front of these people. Well, I want you to know that um, I decided after a while, I can't stay here. Because I came to the place as a Christian that I had to profess with my mouth that is my past it is not my present it is not my future it is my past and I have to move on beyond that uh, if we were looking at the future in the Bible uh, Brother Barry, we end up in the book of Revelation. It tells us what our future is. And in fact, just in the last month or so, I finished up uh, my 40-week time with my group of men that I've been meeting with in our deeds. Over and over is the ones who overcome. Those who have overcome. Those who have overcome. It's used multiple times in the book of Revelation. And in fact, I, I did a word study about this word in the Greek of to overcome or overcomers. And well, actually, it's the word Nike in the Greek. 
that was, which was a um, Greek goddess of victory, Nike. But it's a word that's used in the New Testament about 25 times. And the word Nike is the idea of overcoming a challenge, being victorious in a contest, prevailing against an enemy. And like I said, there's about 25 times in the New Testament when I started researching this a couple weeks ago, actually, that it's used in the New Testament. Half of those are in the book of Revelation. And I thought, wow, how significant if you're talking about overcoming that when you get to the... And in my mind and my imagination went to the place where I said, you know what? I really think they're going to gather up in heaven and I know we're going to be worshiping God also. But I just envisioned in my mind the overcomers gathering around and telling their story of what they had overcome. And I thought, what an, what an incredible picture of heaven when all things are made right. And the testimonies, the stories that will be told of what they overcame. And so my mind just began to ask the question, who are they? And what did they overcome? And I just, I went back into the New Testament and I, I just began to thumb through the pages and at the characters that are introduced in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and even in the book of Acts. And you can even go beyond that, quite honestly, into Paul's writings. And to think of the stories of the overcomers. And I just, in my mind, began to trace their stories in the New Testament. And I decided that this summer, we're going to spend our time telling the stories of the overcomers in the Bible. Now, there's real life overcomers that we know. And they're not just in the Bible, but for our sake this summer, I want us to spend some time just talking about the stories of those who have overcome and what they overcame. And I really want to talk about how they overcame. And when I began to trace their stories, there were three uh, things that emerged to me of the things they had overcome. And I'm just grouping ideas. There's a lot, and there's a lot to these stories. But when I just began to trace those characters, I, I thought about there were those that will tell the story of overcoming past failures. And I think about Paul's I'm not going to tell all these stories today. So many others. We could really throw Peter in here too. Of people that what they overcame were their past failures. But I really, I thought about some other people that really what they overcame, yes, it was some failures, but there was also these character flaws. I would throw Peter in this group because <laughs> Peter had a character flaw, at least one. And that was he was full of himself. And you read the stories in the New Testament of Peter falling and needing to overcome. I thought about Timothy and his timidity. I thought about the rich young ruler. We don't have any indication that he overcame. But he loved money more than anything else. 
I actually thought about Nicodemus. That's a whole other story. I actually thought about myself in this, this, this category. Why was I so concerned as a teenager about what people thought about me and my image? Hmm. We got a lot to talk about this summer, but anyhow, just kind of laying it out. And then I thought about this other category. Some of the testimonies that will be told will be of challenging circumstances that life brought people that they overcame. Oh, wow, in this list, the demon-possessed man, the paralytic, the leper, Bartimaeus, and then some real serious serious ones, Lazarus. Do you know what his challenging circumstance was? He was dead. That's pretty challenging, isn't it? Stephen, who faced death because of his stance for Christ. But this morning I come to John chapter 9, to a man that is introduced to us here in John 9, and as far as we know, only in John 9 in the Scriptures. And he was a man that had a challenging circumstance. And it says in in John 9, notice how he's introduced. It says, Now, as Jesus passed by, and this would have been in Jerusalem, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Here it is in verse 3. Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Here it is. But that the works of God should be revealed in him. This man had a challenging circumstance in his life. He was blind. He wasn't simply blind. It says in the scriptures he was blind from birth. He had never seen. It wasn't that he once saw, lost his sight, now can't see. No, this man was born blind. He was a man that wasn't whole, we would say. Uh, The disciples want to talk about the man as a theological case study. So master, this man, born blind, was it his sin or someone else's sin, his parents' sin, that caused him to be blind? And Jesus makes this incredible theological statement it's like you guys don't even get it it's not about his sin it's not about his parents sin this statement it's hard for me to even wrap my brain around this that the works of God may be known seriously that the works of God may be known you know the reality is is that there are some circumstances in our life that we did not create, nor can we control. And you can, you can lump a lot of things 
in that category and some of you in your minds right now are thinking of something in your own life or somebody you know close to you it is a circumstance that is challenging and it is now there are some challenging circumstances that we create by our choices but I'm telling you there are whole nother group of circumstances that we did not create nor can we control Theologically, we, we would say that in the very beginning of time that God created a perfect creation from the very beginning. But when mankind sinned, it's not just that mankind was broken. Everything God had created was broken. We live in a fallen world where sin permeates every aspect of life that's inside of me that's outside of me before sin there was no death therefore there was no sickness there was no illness everything was perfect everything was perfect between Adam and Eve but when sin was introduced in the world everything was affected and there was a pervasive presence of evil and the ultimate expression of that is there was death. The man had a challenging circumstance and the disciples wanted to talk about it. <laughs> but as the story unfolds, Jesus wanted to do more than just talk about it. Notice what he does in verse 6 and 7. Notice the difference that it makes that Jesus interjected into challenging circumstances. Verse 6. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground. You, you can't do that during coronavirus, okay? Okay. I'm sorry. He spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Jesus intervenes in this man's circumstance. It makes all the difference that Jesus, as God himself, shows up in the midst of this man's challenging circumstances. He spits in the ground. He makes some, some clay. He puts it on the eyes of the man. He sends him to wash in a, a pool of Siloam, which is a known pool in Jerusalem in the southern part. And uh, Siloam means scent. And what they did is there was a spring that was outside the walls of Jerusalem and they, they sent it through a carved out rock all the way down to this pool that would be inside the walls of Jerusalem. In case of siege, they would have a water source. So this is the pool of Siloam. Do you know why Jesus spit on the ground on this occasion for a blind man and put mud on his eyes? You know why Jesus sent him to wash at the pool of Siloam? I don't either. I don't know. But here's the deal. That man had a choice of what he was going to do with the instructions he had been given. Jesus said on this occasion, this is what I'm going to do. I don't even know if the pool of Siloam was close. It almost seems like to me from the story he has to walk a ways. There were probably other pools he passed. Why did he have to go to the pool of Siloam? Because Jesus said so. 
It was his only shot of being healed is to be obedient to what Jesus told him to do. And he does out of faith or something, curiosity, and he receives his sight. We understand that Jesus has the power to change circumstances that no one else can. He can use any means he chooses to. <laughs> we must only trust and obey. If that's what Jesus said, that's what we do when we trust our lives to him. I want you to see his interaction when he comes back first with his neighbors in verse 8. It says, therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. And I love this. He said, I am he. Y'all talking about me? I'm right here. This is me. No, I'm the blind man that used to sit here and beg. I don't know. That's funny. That's just funny to me, maybe. Not everybody. If you laugh, it's probably an indictment about you. Verse 10. Therefore they said to him, how were your eyes opened? Very significant. Verse 11. He answered and said, I want you to know what he calls Jesus at this point. A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received my sight. Then they said to him, Where is he? And he said, I do not know. At this point in the story to the neighbors, the man's testimony is Jesus is a man. But notice as he goes on and he's brought before the Pharisees in verse 13. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put clay in on my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. Verse 17, they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? Notice what he says. He said he is a prophet. So you see this evolution in this man's faith that Jesus was a man. But now as the day goes on, he is a prophet. I love his statement. His parents are brought in. We don't have time to discuss that this morning. But verse 24, after the parents are brought in, they bring the man back, still before the Pharisees. So again, so they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, here it is. That though I was blind, now I see. You boys, you theologians, you figure out the theology of it all. All I know at this point is once I was blind, now I will see. It, you know where you know that line from? 
from the opening line of Amazing Grace. John Newton, saved by the grace of God. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. You can figure out all the theology you want. This man knew that he was blind, and Jesus had made him see. I think he's going to use that line in the testimony circle of the Overcomers Club in heaven. What did he overcome? I once was blind, but now I see. But there's something actually more to the story in verse 35 because the story does not end there because the point of the story is more than just physical sight that led to a greater quality of his earthly life. There was something more there. It says in verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Here it is. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. There was something more than physical sight. There was spiritual sight. And spiritual sight leads to eternal life. Jesus once was a man. Then he was a prophet in this man's understanding. But he came to the place in his life to say, Know that you are the Son of God. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There's so many scriptures about overcoming, but in 1 John 5, 5, it says, he, Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The story ends there in John 9 and the contrast in the story is the man came to the place where he believed that Jesus was the Son of God. He came to the place of faith which gave him not just physical sight but spiritual sight which in turn gave him eternal life. The contrast in the story is the Pharisees and Jesus picks at them because you say you can see you still are blind and you're dead in your sins is what Jesus says. But the man who was blind placed his trust in Jesus. And what we learn in the story in challenging circumstances is that Jesus has the power to overcome all challenges. Now get this. He will not fix all of the imperfections of this world in this time. Can he? Yes, he can. Did he? Yes, he did in the blind man. Will he always? Not in this world. It will not be until eternity that Jesus will fix all the imperfections 
that we will see his power to overcome whatever challenges we face in life. So what about you? What did you think of when we talked about challenging circumstances? What did you think about when we talked about character flaws or past failures? That Jesus is described as the original overcomer. He is the Lamb who overcame in Revelation 5. And you go on from there. Jesus overcomes. He is the first and the ultimate overcomer, and therefore he has the power to overcome whatever it is in our life. And the, the challenge is that we place our lives into his hands. And he will overcome whatever it is in our life, whether that is our past failures, whether that is our character flaws, whether that is the challenging circumstances that we find in our life, if we place our life in his hand, Jesus, and it may not be till eternity, will overcome it all. You see, in Jesus, what we will learn this summer is that our past failures are covered in his blood. Our character flaws are transformed by the power of his spirit. And we rise above our challenging circumstances through the power of his presence. I began worship this morning by reading from Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, 37 says, Yet in all these things, Through him who loved us. Actually, an interesting word study there, but I don't have time for it this morning. Yet in all these things, we are more than what it says is conquerors. But really what the Greek says is, uh, is like a super overcomer. There's a prefix before the Nike. It's like, ah, on steroids. But I want, us, I want to pray for our nation. Wow. Are we in a mess? Do we have challenging circumstances as a nation? Yes. And uh, we've been asked to and we will pray for our nation. At the end of the service, when we're dismissed here in just a minute, uh, but uh, I'm going to be at the front. If you'd like to visit with me, if you'd like to pray, uh, then you come. I'm going to be at the front. Uh, if you need to cross the line of faith, to give your life to Christ, to place your life in His hands, to believe in the Son of God, uh, then I'm, I'm going to be at the front after we dismiss. But I want us to pray, and then if you'll just wait just a minute for me just to make a couple announcements. Father, today we thank You that through the One who loved us, we are more than overcomers. And Father, we thank you that uh, through the power of Jesus, uh, we can overcome and that you promise his presence in our lives, whatever we pass through. And so, Father, we thank you for that hope and we pray that you'd fill us with joy and encouragement in our life. Father, I pray for our nation that Father so experiences the brokenness 
of being separated from God. And Father, we pray that we would be instruments of peace as the Christian community and we would stand against wrong. But Father, we would stand for love and peace. And so Father, I pray in these days in Corona, in the midst of racial division and violence in our, in our country, that Father, you would turn our hearts back to you. Father, we would see a great revival because of the circumstances that we've passed through and for the power of Christ. And so, Father, we thank you for our time of worship today. We love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name.